Hey everyone, you're listening to How's the Climate, your Richmond Hill-based podcast focusing on bringing climate awareness and education to Richmond Hill residents. I'm Matthew Wong. And I'm Emiko Wajay-Sundra, and today we will be speaking with Mr. Julius Lindsay, a climate change and sustainability development project manager for the town of Richmond Hill. He's also the primary founder of the Black Environmental Alliance, and in the past has worked with the city of Mississauga, Infrastructure Ontario, Ontario Realty Corporation, and the University of Toronto. Hello, Mr. Lindsay. Morning. So first off, we'd love if you could tell us a little bit about your history with climate action. So I'm Julius Lindsay, and as the introduction said, I'm currently working for the city of Richmond Hill, and I've been working in the climate field for the past about 15 years or so. I started out working for a provincial agency, looking at the province's real estate portfolio and their greenhouse gas emissions and and energy management related to that. That was back when the Green Energy Act was coming into effect. And since then, I've worked in cities, so doing energy management, doing community energy, so looking at energy at the community scale, looking at climate change action, across the cities that I've worked in, both the city of Mississauga and the city of Richmond Hill, and looking at climate action, climate change mitigation and adaptation. So yeah. This is really interesting. And you're definitely someone who's been involved with this for a long time and also through the progression of Ontario's reactions to the climate crises. So we now have three questions that we believe would give great insight to our listeners at home. First, what is unique about the climate change crisis within Richmond Hill? So in terms of Richmond Hill, um, you know, Richmond Hill is, is a suburban city. It's currently a suburban city, but it's also growing a lot. And that's pretty unique in the context of the GTA because there are a bunch of sort of municipalities that are leveling off in terms of their growth. And the ones that are growing are primarily growing in ways that are building in what we call greenfield areas, so areas where there isn't already development. Whereas for Richmond Hill, because the city's almost completely built out, the city's going to be, as we say at the city, it's growing up, not out. And that brings a lot of sort of unique challenges to Richmond Hill in terms of a lot of what's on the ground is already there. So we have to understand how we can modify or how we can work with residents to take action in sort of the way that that the city's already built. Um, It's gonna bring increasing pressures from things like flooding and heat island effect as we intensify in some of those areas and we build up those areas, bring more people to existing contexts. I think looking at some of the individual climate risks that the city sees in terms of in terms of flooding, in terms of extreme heat, in terms of things like freestyle and ice storms. Because of that intensification as well, we're going to need to think about how we address those specific risks as we build up and as we sort of deal with the existing context uh, areas. But I think another thing that's really unique about Richmond Hill that isn't sort of similar to a lot of municipalities in this area is that we have the Oak Ridges Moraine and and that's a great opportunity from a carbon sequestration perspective of trees and natural areas, but it also forces us to think about what impact we will have on those on that area, but also how do we how do we incorporate natural heritage and, and other sort of natural solutions into um, what we're doing within the city. In addition, Richmond Hill is a pretty multicultural community and um, that 
creates unique challenges in terms of taking climate action and getting people involved. And it's one thing to sort of put out messaging and say, like, this is what you should do. But, you know, there are cultural uh, barriers to taking action. There are language barriers to taking action. There are there are just barriers to getting in contact with groups because not everybody is is involved in sort of civic life, what goes on at City Hall on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, how do we reach all of the various uh, different people, where they are, how they are, how do we bring solutions that are are culturally sensitive and are realistic for for the various people and and how they live their lives on a day-to-day basis. As we said, you know, the city is sort of built out in terms of its context and we're going to be modifying and and that also creates a challenge in terms of you know people think the city should run a certain way they think about their neighborhoods a certain way part of taking climate action is sort of challenging that at a very fundamental level and being able to do that from the context of what's happening in the city but also being able to do that in the context of who each individual is and how they interact with the city how they see the world that's going to be very different for for many different people throughout the city. And that's one of the challenges and, and very unique to many of the cities within the GTA because we are such a multicultural region, looking at how to reach those various groups of people, how to bring solutions that are, are relevant and would be possible for, for people is a really important part of the work. And it's very, it's it's a very sort of new emerging part of the work because I think traditionally. Um, especially cities within the GTHA, they sort of do things the way they've always done them. And that doesn't always work for all the people that work within our jurisdiction. Part of the work that I do in terms of climate action at the city is bringing outside of the box solutions, thinking, um, you know, thinking laterally, trying to find solutions from other areas and bring them into climate action that is relevant and can bring in many different point of views, perspectives into the work that we're doing from a climate action perspective. And that's such an interesting point, especially when you think about the fact that the climate crisis is a global problem, the cultural diversity that that then brings is staggering. I'm wondering if you might be able to expand a bit on your experience in that sort of realm and also about the interconnected racial and economic issues within the climate crisis. So yeah, I'm I'm actually quite new to the climate justice side of things and you know part of it is is the evolution of climate action and I think the growing realization not just from a global stage because I think you know there's many people out there who would be able to understand that like if you flew to a South Pacific island that was sinking under rising tides they'd understand that the cultural context in which you bring that climate action is much different than here. But I think within the work that I do and within the sort of industry circles that I've, I'm working in, there's growing, there's growing understanding that that cultural sensitivity needs to be brought to the here and now, especially, as I said before, in a region such as ours, that is, is very multicultural. So this has been sort of an evolution for, for me and, and, and working in climate justice and, and bringing an equity lens to the work that we do, even just in the communities that I grew up in, in the, in the people that I talk to on a, on a day-to-day basis, understanding how that, that works. And I think part of that you know, realization for me over the past year or so has been the fact that I, I am a Black person and I work within an industry that is not very diverse. The perspectives that I bring to the work that I do is much different than some of my colleagues. And part of that work has been 
connecting to other people working in this industry and hearing their voices and really trying to find a way to elevate those voices within this conversation because they are unique. They bring a different perspective and, and something very valuable in all the work that I've done. I've always found the most robust solutions that have come out of the work that I've done have come from contexts where we bring many different people with many different perspectives to the table. And, and traditionally that's sort of seen as you know, we need planners, we need engineers, we need ecologists, but, you know, that needs to be extended to, we need people from different cultural backgrounds, different, uh, you know, geographies in the world. And, and especially in Canada, that, that comes from an, an Indigenous perspective as well, because you have, you know, we have Indigenous communities that, uh, Indigenous nations that live within Canada, and they have millennia of history in terms of how to live in this space, how to interact with the land, how to take action within the Canadian context. And we would be, we would be amiss to ignore and not, not integrate those, uh, that knowledge into the community. And I think part of that, part of that incorporation of that knowledge is to understand that all these different people from these different groups live in different contexts. They have different mindsets. That's, you know, in, ta- in, in terms of taking climate action, you know, I was, I was talking with a colleague a few months back and we were talking about the fact that there was, there was movement to push for uh, bike lanes within certain regions of the city, like the north, northwestern, part, northwestern part of the city, which is, you know, there's a lot of towers there, there's a lot of low-income communities. And, you know, how many people there actually own bikes? How many people would be willing to bike there? Are the, like, how many people would be willing to bike on a, on a road like Rexdale Avenue or, or Kipling Avenue or Islington Avenue? You know, it's one thing to put in bike lanes, but if nobody's going to use them, then is that really the best way to take climate action in, in, in those areas? You know, I think part of it as well is that a lot of racial and economic issues are really climate issues. Uh, for example, I've done a bit of uh, work in back in calculations. And if you look at sort of summer temperatures in Toronto, hotter summers, you end up with more shootings and more killings within the city. And and that's not really a coincidence when you think about those that might be involved in crime, those that might live in low-income neighborhoods. What is their access to air conditioning? What is their access to natural spaces where that which are we know that natural spaces are, are naturally cooler than areas where there's lots of concrete and, and lots of, of buildings and you know so the, right there we we look at at the climate crisis through uh, through a racial through a through an economic lens and the solutions are really become social solutions in terms of you know helping access to air conditioning to cooling centers you're not sleeping at night, you're going to be more grumpy, which means you're more likely to be angry, which means you're more likely to, to, to do these types of things, right? And, and drawing these kinds of conditions and, and, and connecting those people who are working on those types of like, you know, crime, gun, economic issues to financing and understanding in terms of how the climate's going to change, funding that's directed towards climate change, working towards, you know, affecting these, these issues on the ground is really where I think the work needs to go and, and especially in our, in our region, because I think that a lot of these climate risks that we are seeing in terms of heat, in terms of flooding, you know, they, they, they disproportionately affect uh, communities of low income, you know, they will have effects on crime, crime rates uh, within cities. Um, you know, I remember in the July 8th flood that we had in 2013, there was anecdotal evidence that 
Uh, I actually, I was working in the city of Mississauga at the time. I guess I should add this context. I was working in the city of Mississauga at the time and 80% of city Mississauga lost, lost power that day due to the flooding. There was a certain transformer that was flooded. It, it went down and the way that energy flows within the system 80% of the city uh, lost power. And there was anecdotal evidence that there were people from Toronto who were going into Mississauga and uh, committing crimes because there was, because the, the power was out and obviously all of the sort of first responders were focused on addressing the flooding. And, you know, we're gonna see these types of effects as we see more uh, frequent climate uh, impacts. And these are the types of things that we need to think about. We need to build into our plans and we need to, we need to take action on. Thank you for your response. That was really inspiring and eye-opening. So, and speaking of like different perspectives, we understand that you also have a physics background. So for aspiring students who are passionate about science, technology, engineering, or math, how can they incorporate their passions with climate change? I really like this question because I think that, I think that there is a lack of technical knowledge in those that are taking action on climate change. Thus far, in, there's a lot of more on the social side of things and on the, the uh, humanity sides of things. And I think that more and more people need to bring a technical background. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be looking at technology to solve the climate issues, because I think there are a lot of natural solutions to the climate crisis. And there's also a lot of social solutions to the climate crisis. But I think the mindset that you get from a training in science and in, in STEM is something that um, will help in terms of uh, taking action on climate change. And that's primarily because a lot of the, a lot of the solutions from climate change um, are multidisciplinary. So you're going to have to bring solutions from, you need to bring science solutions, you need to be social solutions, you're going to need to bring planning solutions, you need to bring ecological solutions, and all of those solutions are, um, need to be brought together. And, and one of the biggest parts of tr like my training from a physics background was how to take disparate pieces and theories and put them together to come up with solutions. When I was in university, you know, you'd learn in class, you'd learn theories and you'd learn theorems and you'd learn proofs and you'd learn methodologies for solving problems, but then you'd be given a problem set and you'd have to figure out on your own how to, which of those solutions you need to apply and then how to apply them together to get solutions um, to problems. And really that's what, that's what taking climate action is, is taking all of these various pieces. That biking example is a social solution in terms of who bikes and how they bike and how willing they are to bike. It's a technological solution in terms of building a better bike or building an electric bike. It's a planning solution in terms of where we put bike lanes and how people get around on the city and the transportation sort of planning perspective. So how do you take all of those various pieces of solution, put them together in a way that people actually do on the ground? And I think that that is the biggest part of taking, taking a training in, in terms of STEM is understanding how to look at the world from that perspective. And I think that there, there aren't a lot of people right now who, who have that background, who think that way in the climate space, but I think there's going to be an increasing need for for that and and you know for people who can understand those all those various pieces put them together as solutions and it's a it's a very sort of specific way of thinking and something that I got out of my training so in my day-to-day -day work 
I don't do any pure physics. I do a lot of, uh, of mathematics as a matter of course, but you know, the biggest thing I got on my training is that sort of strategic and logical problem solving thinking that is applicable in pretty much every industry and field that I've seen. So I think that's, um, that's really important. And I think that's how you can, that's, that's where you can lend your, your knowledge and your expertise to taking action on climate change. The, the rest you can sort of learn, but I think that's, that's a really important part of, of taking action on climate change. That's so interesting. And I do think that when it comes to those involved in climate action, the population is not necessarily as diverse um, as we might like it to be, especially when it comes to educational background. Speaking of diversity, I know that in the last little bit, you've been working quite heavily with the Black Environmental Alliance, which is a really impressive and exciting organization that you actually created. Would you be able to tell us a little bit more about that? About this time last year, so Black History Month last year, there was a person who wrote an article in the CBC newspaper about um, the fact that the environmental movement is very white and there isn't a lot of diversity. And for me, it um, like it struck a chord because you know often you know within my workplace, I was just saying this to somebody the other day. I never worked. I never had another black person on my team. I've never had more than two other Black people within my division, within the companies that I've worked in. And this is my full 15-year career. Never had more than two other Black people in, in my divisions. You know, I often visit uh, industry events and go to workshops and almost never have another Black person in those spaces. And sort of subsequent to that, last year... Um, you know, everything happened during the summer with uh, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Regis Korczynski Paquette. And there was this sort of growing awareness related to anti-Black racism and what that means sort of in all spaces of our lives. So that led me to basically reach out to every Black person that I knew who worked in this space. I don't know very many people. And, um, you know, I want to kind of get together and have a conversation, I, I, including, I, including reaching out to the author of that article. Uh, I think it ended up being about 10 or 11 people. Majority of the people that I spoke to actually also did not, or I shouldn't say also, I knew a few people, but majority of the people of those people that I spoke to did not know another Black person who worked in this space. Um, so they were like, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd love to get together and have a conversation. So we got together last summer and we had a conversation and, and you know, basically just, you know, talking about what it was like to work in this space, growing awareness. And, and um, you know, during that summer, during last summer, many companies came out and, you know, said they're against racism and they started, you know, hiring uh, diversity and inclusion people and, and, you know, taking action, trying to take action or, or at least making it look like they were trying to take action. And, um, and as a result, uh, they, uh, you know, we talked about that the stress of that and sort of people looking to you for solutions in these kind of spaces. And sort of the result of that conversation, basically I asked the group like, do you want to be a talking group where we just get together and talk and like get to know each other? Or do you want to be a doing group and we actually do something? And everybody in the group was really enthusiastic about doing stuff. You know, the group had people who had 20, 30 year careers. And then the group had people who were basically new grads right out of school or just, just finishing up school. 
Um, so, you know, we got together and we had, and we continued the conversation throughout the rest of the year in terms of, um, you know, what do we want to do? Who are we? What are the values that we want to um, embody? You know, what does climate justice look like for us? And, and you know, what does, um, what does anti-racism look like for us within the environmental sector? And the result of that is that we've started the Black Environmental Alliance and Environmentalist Alliance. And, um, you know, we're very new, like we basically just formalized, we're just getting formalized now. And we're going to, we're also going to be launching in a few months, but really it's about elevating Black people within the industry. It's about making connections. Cause you know, as I said, most of the people in the group did not know anybody else who was Black who worked in this space. So it's about creating connections and having people get to know each other and support each other within the field. But it's also about supporting the Black community and understanding the impacts of environmental racism and climate justice in terms of taking action. You know, I spoke earlier about the fact that places like Jane and Finch are, um, you know, being affected by the climate in ways that I think people don't really understand. This is happening within our backyard. This is not an issue that's happening in the South Pacific or in the Caribbean. This is happening, you know, a 15 minute drive from my house. It's raising those issues. We want to be able to take action on those kinds of issues and we want to be able to help our community. And, and you know, we've grown to about 16 people now, but, um, and that's just through word of mouth. Like we haven't done anything public yet. Um, um, but, you know, everybody that I've encountered that I've spoken to about this has been really enthusiastic about um, the the possibilities and, and the, um, and the, the, the potential of, you know, working together, talking together, getting together, and so really supporting each other, because I think, you know, it can be, can be quite draining to work in spaces where people don't really understand where you're coming from, or what, what, what's happening. And, and, you know, I've, I've been a victim of racism at work from even my own, like, direct supervisor. So, you know, this is something that happens quite frequently. It's, it happens today in Canada. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I'm really excited to be part of starting an organization that, that's going to take action on that. And, and, and hopefully we'll be able to do some real exciting and, and interesting things. That's, that's really powerful. Also, um, probably a, a long time coming, I think. Yeah, I definitely agree is like really powerful. Really, I think the more people we get involved in, the more skill sets we have, the stronger any potential solution will be. So to get um, more people involved, and to all those listeners out there at home, do you have any suggestions or advice for those who want to take immediate action? So I, I think people in Richmond Hill are uniquely fortunate to be able to take action. There are, I know of, an, at least five different groups that are operating within Richmond Hill. Lots of opportunities to, to get out there and get involved and learn from other people. In terms of your household, turning down your thermostat one degree is a really easy action you can take. You can save up to 5% of your um, electricity or, or natural gas bill during the month if you just turn down the temperature in your house by one degree put on a sweater if it's if it gets a little bit chilly in your house you know eating choices reducing the amount of uh, meat consumption is another one that's always out you know out there in the media in terms of reducing your your greenhouse gas footprint 
reducing the amount you use your car. So taking transit, walking, cycling is another, is another really easy one. And, and especially for, for, for the driving perspective, you know, I know Richmond Hill as, as a community is, is very car centric and it's built for cars, but instead of driving to the corner store, walk to the corner store and, um, you know, instead of driving to the mall, you know, maybe bike to the mall or, or maybe it's not every time you drive, maybe it's like, okay, you're going to resolve that once a week, you're going to, you're going to take that walk instead of, instead of driving. And there's, you know, there's lots of opportunities, you know, maybe it's from a biking perspective, maybe it's just trying that, that, that bike path or try, try riding your bike in an area where you're, where you're not, uh, where you don't usually, you know, step outside of the box. Um, another really easy one is to plant native native plants, trees, shrubs, you know, there's lots of uh, really good imperial evidence that shows that, you know, having a tree near your house reduces your energy consumption in your house. It, it, it helps to cool the neighborhood. It helps, you know, as we said, talked about earlier, you know, reducing that heat island effect. Um, you know, lots of people die throughout the year because of of extreme heat in Canada. This is not, we're not even talking about like down south or in the Caribbean or in the, in the tropics, like in Canada, people die every, hundreds of people die every year from extreme heat. So, you know, planting a tree in your neighborhood, planting uh, natural shrubs um, are, are great ways to, to take action. And, um, you know, one of the things that we're doing at the city is we're currently developing a, a community climate change um, action plan that's going to have a number of actions set out, not just for the city, so not just for the the, the city of Richmond Hill, but um, for the whole community of Richmond Hill on how we can take action to, to address climate change. So, you know, look out for that. It's going to be out in the next few months. And part of, part of the development of that, we're developing a toolkit for community members to be able to take action, but also have conversations with those in their groups to to take action on climate change and, and I'm currently working on it. So that's why it's top of mind, but um, you know, that's going to have actions around, you know, what you do in your house, what you do uh, from a transportation perspective, how you can talk to others, um, how you can talk to the various levels of government uh, to take action on climate change. Um, so we really want to, to be able to empower our community members. Uh, I think lastly, what I would say part of it is just having an open mind, you know, as I said, sort of at the beginning, like we have very entrenched ways of in, in which the way we interact with our city, the way that we live every day. And it's really about thinking about the small things that we can do to take action on climate change and how the small changes that we can make add up among all the community members of, of Richmond Hill to have a larger impact. The, the one message that we always use is everyone has a role to play and everybody's role is really important. And, you know, that's not only taking action to reduce the effects of climate change, but that's also um, taking action in terms of uh, mitigating the effects that we have seen or, or we will see in, in the future. And, and that may be looking out for those in community who may be older, who may not have air conditioning, who, who may be lower income, who may not be able to access some of these solutions that I mentioned before, you know, meant people who live in apartment buildings, they don't necessarily have control over their thermostat or so, you know, having access to, to cooling centers is really important as well. And I think that if we see major flooding or if we see major power outages, you know, people helping people is, is going to be part of the solution. And it's going to be just as important as um, the action that cities or, or provinces or uh, federal government 
makes because you know these things happen on the ground and be able to to help each other. Yeah, I definitely agree. Thank you very much, Mr. Lindsay, for invaluable insights. I was certainly inspired by them, and I know listeners at home will certainly be as well for your uh, insights. And I think that concludes today, today's episode. We'll see you next time here on How's the Climate. This podcast is brought to you by Making Waves, a Canadian youth team based in the GTA focused on bringing climate education to Richmond Hill. We are participating in Youth Challenge International's Innovate My Future program and are supported by Evergreen Canada and Resilient Richmond Hill. Thanks to Matthew Wong for today's content and Joshua Chang for our music. Our team includes Olivia Karp, Matthew Wong, Lucy Mao, Romina Murtash, and me, Emiko Wijay Catch you next time.